Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you all for being here. I hope you had a fine lunch. I'd like to express my gratitude to Lawrence and the Retail Without Borders team for having me back again to share. To that end, uh, I hope today's learnings are both practical and eye-opening as we take a little stroll through the unique world of China e-commerce. A bit about me, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Kung Fu Data and e-commerce group. Our sole mission is to help brands thrive in China's online marketplaces. So without further ado, we're going to start with a case. And this is a typical case that we encounter in China. This is something that happens every day. A famous brand comes into China, they open a Tmall store, and a few years later, they close it. And around the time this brand closed the store, they released an official statement to the press. And it was very simple. It was all about Taobao counterfeit, and uh, they couldn't compete. But that's kind of interesting to me, because that's not the real reason. 30 days before they closed the store, the CFO in China had us in, and I was sitting in his office, and we were doing an audit, and we were trying to find out why this happened to them. And actually, it was two things, neither of which had anything to do with Taobao. The first is they had a parallel importer based in Beijing who had a network of Tmall and Taobao stores. He was able to purchase in-season and off-season legal tender through the brand's offline wholesale distribution network overseas, bring it into China through private channels, and sell for less than the brand could. It was not a small amount of business, about 70 million US, and he had a defendable position. But that's actually not the true reason for failure here. The real reason is that the brand had advisors that thought they were very clever to set up a private template inside Tmall. Mm. For people like me, that's a huge mistake, because Tmall is just a button. It's an icon in something much larger, and that is Taobao. It's where 650 million Chinese people begin and end their journey to buy anything under the sun. So when you're on the private template in Tmall, little known fact, you are not in the Taobao search index. In our portfolio of Tmall stores that we operate, 85 to 90% of all traffic and all transactions originate at some point through the Taobao app. And my point isn't to belabor the fact that this brand failed. It's that it doesn't matter how big you are. China can eat you alive very quickly. You can make all sorts of mistakes, and they're killer. It's a minefield. So whether you're small, mid, or large, actually, this is the secret to success. Success is highly nuanced. Now, Jack Ma, as we all know, built something very unique, but very few people understand it. So when I talk to people, they throw things at me like, Taobao's a flea market. It's a fake market. It's uh, C2C. It's eBay. Actually, it's none of those things at all. And today I want to show you exactly what it is and why you should read the end of this quote, which is not being too late to adapt. Because what I see is all of what they've done coming to your home very soon. So I had one of uh, my account managers just do a simple demonstration of the power of this platform. Um, when you first move to China and you use Taobao, it is a magical experience. It is an extremely powerful uh, platform, and more importantly, it's a transformative way of purchasing and interfacing with merchants. So I had her look for a high-end uh, floor lamp for our office. What you see are screenshots of her mobile device as she runs through a process of finding and purchasing this floor lamp. So she runs a search, 
She grabs some coupons with a tip-tap of her fingers, and on the right, she flips a link automatically to their customer service department with a picture of the product. Then she's waiting for the CS to respond and decides to go to this button in the middle here, which is basically Pinterest. She can see what all the other people that bought that product have done with it. Then the CS responds. Look at the second count. She sent the question at 17 seconds and got a response from a human brain at, 20, at 25. That's eight seconds. So she asks another question. And she goes down this list. Oh, you know what? I want to talk to people who have bought this. It's not the merchant. You can go to this button, ask everyone. It's just like Airbnb. You can communicate directly with users of the product without the merchant interfering. Meanwhile, in order to do that, she has to follow the store. That's Twitter. She has to check in. That's Foursquare. Over here, she has to get her points. That's gamification. And then she asks another question, so on and so forth. At the end, she goes through checkout and uses the equivalent of Apple Wallet. And this whole process takes 1 minute and 17 seconds. That's eight applications on your phone now in one place for free in 1 minute and 17 seconds. But that's not even what's really powerful about this. It's this. That was to the factory direct. I can customize, order from the factory, talk to people at the factory, and people who have bought from the factory, and you don't even get involved as a merchant. Now, I order. It's delivered free, same day or next day. My wife ordered a TV on JD.com. 90 minutes later, the crew showed up to my apartment, installed the TV, hooked up my cable and the internet, set up the VPN, and made sure Netflix was streaming before they left. Total time from the time I clicked buy now, two hours. What works globally, guys, does not work in China. Automation is a myth. This is a high-touch, very intense place to do business, and you have to be prepared that you aren't. Okay, I'm going to show you why. So let's start with competition. Um, in 2015, there was a, let's call it a big pizza. There was 16-inch pizza on the table. It's pretty big. And there were only 5,000 brands, so let's call it three slices. Now fast forward to last year, there's 190,000 brands. Pizza's double, it's 32 inches, but now it's cut 120 ways. Bottom line's getting crowded. And you can't mess things up. You have to get almost everything right. Every little strategic error or structural situation that you set up, you bring in a broken model, you're not competitive in any way, you die. Now, the reason this happens is you're competing with everyone, including yourself, for traffic, okay? So when you're small and you launch a store, everyone can find you, right? You can easily find the flagship. The minute your business is worth having, it's worth someone else going and buying and selling your product and trading on the arbitrage, your, system look, your ecosystem looks like that. And you have to understand how to recapture and control your traffic and all that unauthorized revenue. Consumers are super picky. You see how spoiled we are. I mean, everything's free, same-day delivery. I get to deal direct with factories. I get everything I want, and they'll service me, handhold me, all the way through checkout and delivery. Okay? And so they can take their time, and they do. So this is a... Uh, a consumer journey that we had to design for a French brand that wanted us to launch and they wanted to go direct to commerce and I said whoa 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 actually this decision happens 12 months ago so it starts 12 months in advance and you have to optimize eight platforms before the consumer gets into Taobao and Timon and makes a purchase they're also super demanding so what you see here is a Tmall page the amount of images on a single product page is at least 10 times what you have on yours Minimum photo shoot for any client is five images and a 360-degree video. 
That's minimum to get in now. Okay? So your brand assets have to be robust and beautiful, and you have to write a ton of copy and content and manage the in, like I showed you, the in-store Twitter. So you can't just leave an empty shell. It's not a white buy box, and there's no robots. There's actually human beings that want to buy from you, and you have to interact with them, socialize. And then on top of that, you have to prove that it's authentic. And this is actually diff more difficult than you think because the forgeries and the people that fake and squat in China are very clever. And they look more authentic than you. So you have to take videos of your factory or executive team. You have to prove that you exist and it's your store. More important, you have to have that prompt and responsive customer service. And it's instant. If we miss 15 seconds, you're out of the game. They bounce to a new store. It's a place where winner takes all. This is typical. One of my client's competitors is Hogarden. And their flagship captures 60% of brand revenue. So if you win, you win conclusively. But the biggest problem I see is brands are told fairy tales of easy success. And I'm here to explain to you that that is not true. Right? What you see up here in gray are actual statements on sites of partners for Tmall and other platforms in China. They say things like, we guarantee results. We're going to make you profitable from day one. Our software platform is a magical experience. Now, I don't know about you. There's no all-in-one software that's magical outside of China. Can you imagine inside China? And even worse is this serious, fast, simple, easy, cheap. We can get it done. Actually, if you look at the line at the bottom here, that's not reality. Right? Now, that doesn't mean you can't build a successful presence. All of my clients do eventually. But you have to be realistic. There is no magic button. This is what we ask ourselves when we, see, when we have brands come to us. Okay? These are the things my team thinks about. Is it strong enough? Brand strength is a misunderstood statement. Okay, this is the delta between awareness, them knowing who you are, or what of, of you, and actually caring enough to buy it. And then the second thing we look are is the team itself, the brand, are they committed to do it and do it right? And last is, will they resource it properly? And resources isn't capital. Like I said, it doesn't matter if you're big or small. It matters if you understand how to navigate. So they have to have the right team, assets, marketing, product mix, and things like this. And I'm going to get into that in detail. What I want to start with, though, is the areas where they struggle. There's three areas, three baskets where people make mistakes. Strategy, structure, and execution. On the latter, everyone's going to have problems in China. There is no perfect situation. Every success story, when you're operating on the ground there, things happen. There's a lot of friction, and you will deal with it. But it, you can correct it. The things that you can fix before you go. In other words, why would you put yourself in a situation like that handbag brand where you've cut off your feet before you run the race? Okay? So strategy and structure is something you can get right before you walk in the door into China. So here's how things can go wrong. I've met with more than 500 brands. Uh, actually, it's more like 1,000, but I didn't do the count. It's been six years, and it's a whole lot of meetings. Uh, and I've seen everything you can possibly imagine happen. Today I'm going to share some that I think are valuable to you if you are in the market and it's happened to you or um, you haven't gone in yet and you want to know what to avoid. So let's start with something called squatting. Okay, now this happens in many ways. They can squat on your traffic, your IP, your trademark, all sorts of things, and contracts and exclusive rights. And there's many versions of this. The example I'm going to give today is this American personal care brand. Um, they failed to do the basic research to understand how Chinese people searched for them in China. So there were four characters used by Chinese to know this brand. They instead hired a fancy agency in a law firm in New York or somewhere, 
to actually design a name for the product without realizing they were already popular in China. Okay? And you can't change the way people think about you. Coke is Coke. So what happened to them was they launched a Tmall store and they got no traffic and revenue. Like, what's going on? So when we came in, the first thing we noticed was they don't own the rights to their own name. And so they had a big problem because the distributor who registered the four characters can keep it forever. They're generic characters and you can't get it back. All right? Don't let that happen to you. Get your trademarks right. Do the research. It's easy. You can do it in like 10 minutes. All right? The next is product market fit. I have so many examples of this. Today I'm just going to explain one of them. This New Zealand meat brand, uh, when they came to us, it was already too late for us to fix it. Here's what they did. A couple of people in their you know, product development department thought it would be really cool because they like stir fry that Chinese people would love little cubes of lamb in a bag. Now, could be good, could be bad, you don't know, but all it would take is to go down the street in Auckland to the nearest Chinese restaurant, go to all of them and look at the menu and show me one menu with that on the menu. They're just, it's not in China anywhere. No one eats this stuff. So they're underwater. They got three truckloads of product in China, half a million down the tubes, right? It's simple stuff, guys. Do market research. It doesn't take that long. Hire some people to do it. Spend the time. Go to China. See what it's all about. Now we're going to talk about the biggest one that I have to deal with every day. It's people not in China making decisions. Uh, I'm going to use, unfortunately, my own countrymen because they're fun to pick on these days. This American personal care brand. So um, this group is quite large. And the global CEO is in cahoots with the global CEO of another large consulting firm. Let's call it a top 10. Who said, hey, we can run Tmall for you. Really? So they hired the consulting firm, and it's a total disaster. We were brought into audit. The APAC director is horrified. The store is performing so badly, Tmall's about to delist it. Alibaba had to get involved, remove them, and put on a new distributor. Okay? And it's embarrassing because the brand is actually quite successful in Asia. But when your Tmall store has a rank this bad, it makes you look good. And it tarnishes your reputation and destroys your brand equity. You can fix these things, guys. Don't let people with no experience make decisions on how you do China. Next is malicious interference. Unfortunately, this is outside everyone's control, but it happens to us all the time. So this is, this is my sad story. We were operating a very large German pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical group's uh, over-the-counter medicine portfolio on Tmall's health platform called AliHealth, and it was a marketplace to buy medicines. And we had, I think, 12 brands in the store, and it was doing very well. About halfway through the year, um, offline retail distributors of pharmacies, like pharmaceutical companies in China, got very angry that Alibaba took so much business away from their retail operations. They banded together and got Ali's uh, license to operate as a marketplace revoked. And all the flagships got shut down, and then everyone was forced to go through distributors. Um, here's another one you don't see every day. You hear about airplane and car hijackings and you watch action movies, but how about product? So um, a distributor that uh, was one of my client's exclusives in China decided to sell her company. And she did an okay job. The buyer, the new distributor, took it and she left the country. He decided to stiff her. Uh, he said, you know, I'm not going to pay the, you know, we have a contract. I bought your company, but I'm not going to pay half of it. So anyway, he started running his business as usual, orders a whole bunch of product, a couple million RMB worth, arrives in the port of Tianjin, and all of a sudden it disappears in customs. And then the next day he goes down to his warehouse, and it's locked. 
So he has someone break the lock, he goes in, and that's empty. He has his e-commerce team try to sign into Tmall store, he's blocked out. The old distributor locked him out using her relationships, held the product for ransom, forced him to pay her not just the value of what he owed, but add another million. It crushed my client's business for six months. And this is the risk you run when you offer exclusivity to people in China without clauses to get it back. Um, poisonous agendas. I know you all are in business and you know what a competing agenda is. It's when people in the room all have different ideas of what's going to happen in the relationship. Unfortunately, sometimes in China, it can get ugly. So this is a current case that I am actually actively transferring over to us as an operator. And the backpack brand, they're really good people. They're very successful. They let someone in their Shanghai office said, hey, I'll find you the best you know, operator for backpacks. Don't worry about it. He didn't do that. Instead, he didn't run a process, didn't take it back to his boss. Instead, he went and chose a distributor that he could get into coots with and make a commission on the side. And he offered them in Chinese, his boss couldn't read it, Australian, a contract that gives them perpetual rights to Team on JD. So it's taken nine months, lots of lawyers, a lot of expense, and the stuff's coming back, but they had to buy it back. And it was very expensive. Um, here's something you really don't see every day. Okay, so um, my client's a skincare brand from New Zealand. They came to us, and I actually, I couldn't help them because this situation is untenable. And it's probably the worst case you'd ever see. Um, they hired a head of international based in Auckland who didn't know anything about China, but said she did. And they were looking for a partner. Now, they were fortunate enough to be one of those brands that's accident, uh, excuse me, that is activated by accident in China. So she had a very successful business cross-border, and she wanted to legitimize it and put it through author authorized distribution. So a guy came to them and convinced them that he was a TP or whatever the case may be. They gave him, this woman gave him a five-year exclusive. About a year into the relationship, he was very hostile, and they didn't know what was going on, and they found out that he was actually an arms dealer. The man manufactured dangerous weapons and sold them to Kazakhstan, okay? This is not a nice human being. And so they are stuck in this contract into perpetuity, right? Unless he decides to give it up. Uh, last happened about six months ago. Even when you're successful, things can happen. So my client, uh, we had a very high profile launch for 11.11. It went super well. But then we're taking market share from people in this category. And um, immediately, one of the key competitors was very clever. They launched an attack, hired a third party to start creating fake orders. So about a third of the orders per day were fake to try to hurt our ranking system. So Tmall has a seven-day unlimited right of return. And we've heard from Al today with his fantastic platform about the need to return merchandise. In China, people use that against you. Okay, So what he calls bracketers, we call fraud sometimes. And so in this case, this group hired a third party to do this damage. Now we've gotten that under control. They also called the government bureaus, got them aggressively audited. That cost them a million RMB. And then last, they hired some thugs to go squat in the showroom. So we ended up getting them out of this situation. It took about three months. But things are fine, and it's all back to normal, and everything's great. Um, and I'm sharing all this weird stuff because I want to ask you a question. Are you really ready for China? Um, and um, I'm going to tell you how you know if you're ready, okay? This is how you know if you have a winner for China. Take a photo of it. This is the stuff that any professional third party in China is looking for. So first of all, we're looking for some type of uniqueness. Don't come to me 
with a vitamin C tablet. There's already a thousand brands selling vitamin C tablets. I need to see something that is unique. Um, and you need to be some kind of leader in your own way. So either you've created your own subcategory, you have an iconic product, you're in a great position, or you're just lucky and Chinese tourists buy your stuff, right? Uh, and it happens all the time. You're in the fortunate position of living in London, where high street activation happens every day. You don't even need to invest in China. You just need to get your products out in front of Chinese. Uh, and you need to have product market fit. I've mentioned that you can't get things wrong. Uh, also, you need control of your channels. And by that I mean I don't want to be in a situation like we were with the handbag grant where a parallel importer can buy the product and cut you on price in China. You will never win against these traders. So that's another thing everyone has to understand that your supply chain and centralized inventory and price control goes along with uniqueness. The third and most important of all of these is pre-activation. It's are you known through word of mouth now that could be because travelers, traders, students buy and sell it to their friends through the Daigo networks that you've heard about, all these uh, shopping networks. Another option is some of my clients, for example, in, uh, they're in the motorbike category. If you buy a motorbike and you're going to buy a uniform to protect yourself in a race, they're one of the three brands on earth that you would buy. So they're already activated and known to hobbyists, enthusiasts, and people passionate about the things they do. So if, it's, if you're in sort of that kind of iconic or specialized uh, space and your products are good, you have a great shot at the title. And last, you need a solid marketing plan. And that has to include activation budgets and professional brand assets that we can actually use. Um, here's your self-checklist, guys. So where do you begin? Actually, it's just three questions. Um, and you can ask yourself this. It's, do I know where my brand stands in the market? And I mean that very specifically. Have you looked at the data that's available to understand if it's a viable option, right? If, if it's something that you can do successfully. Uh, the second is, can you or do you know how to build a clear and realistic business case? And if you don't, then you need to bring in help. And there's a lot of people that will facilitate this for you, companies like mine and others, that can help you build that business case and, and you know, look at the commercial viability of the project over time. And last is, do you have the resources? So depending on where your activation level falls, some brands, actually a lot, like Australia and New Zealand, they're just all dumb lucky. Because China's one market to them with Australia, and there's so much cross-border trade that a lot of um, brands are accidentally activated. So when they look at a launch in China, it's not very expensive. Whereas others might be starting from zero. So you have to look at each and every piece of your business to see if you can answer these questions with any kind of confidence. And at the very least, guys, don't hire an arms dealer. Uh, you can add me on the thank you very much, by the way. And uh, you can add me on LinkedIn. I do share my work diary openly now. Uh, so uh, please find me. I will be here today and tomorrow. And I'm happy to help out and give advice to anyone. Uh, thank you again, Lawrence, and the Retail Without Borders team. I really appreciate being here. You guys are outstanding. Thank you, guys.